Okay, so we're in chapter 22, and um, we're in the verse 14, um, actually 15, verse 15. And it breaks up uh, this chapter. Uh, one is about um, uh, the people, we said it, it was so interesting how it fit last week with the upcoming fasts of the siege of Yerushalayim, uh, with the uh, residents of Yerushalayim who still had some time to uh, fix the problems that were uncovered in the society. Uh, but uh, instead of looking towards Hashem, they were only looking at fixing the, uh, fighting the enemy. Now, it's very difficult, uh, the challenge that we face in life. Uh, we, we have what to do, what we call hishtadlis, um, making our best efforts. God helps those that help themselves. I don't know if I quoted that the best way, but uh, uh, the Torah says, Hakim takim imo, that uh, there's a mitzvah to help somebody unload um, his uh, donkey or animal that has a big burden and is about to topple over and needs help. It's a mitzvah uh, to help him unload, but the Torah uses the word imo, together with him. And the rule is that if this person is trying their best, then you have a mitzvah to help them. But what if that person says, well, you've got a mitzvah to help. I'm going to sit here and have my tea while you uh, unload my donkey. There's no mitzvah to help. In other words, you, when we do our best, then Hashem helps us. So there is a concept that we couldn't sit behind and say, well, Hashem's going to protect us and we don't have to make our best efforts. So you have to make your best efforts. Hashem put us in this world to make our best efforts. But at the same time, we have to remember he's the one who's calling the shots. Now that's difficult because you might have thought many times we know that our best efforts would never do it alone and that it's only with Hashem. Uh, but that's um, uh, Yosef, of all people, Yosef Atzadik, um was in prison and uh, he, gets, uh, he finds out about the dream of the, uh, of the butler and the baker. And he discovers that the butler is going to get his job back and is going to be taken back, and here's his opportunity to get out of prison. Like, the only way to get out of prison in those days was through the king. No one else could do it. No one else could, uh, and here he has his opportunity. And so he makes an effort to mention, oh, by the way, when you get your job back, remember me, right? So that would have been fine, but he said, please remember me, and he did it a little too much that he's faulted with. So it seems like uh, it's really... Now, it could be he's a big sadic and he has to have more faith, but it's a combination of doing our best and then doing our best in this world and then it's in Hashem's hands. But we can't forget that other, you know, just because we've got, let's say, a person isn't well and they go to the best doctor and they get the best medicine. Uh, and, you know, the doctor says, you'll be fine, you know, but we still have to pray to Hashem. And as the doctor says, we won't be fine, we still pray to Hashem, Hashem could fix it. it it's in, we can never forget that Hashem is really the one that calls the shots. At the same time, He wants us to do our best efforts. So apparently the people were only working on, well, if they break through the wall, let's set up another wall, let's put a moat in. They, they were not turning towards Hashem. They, if they had turned to Hashem also and said, well, why do you think Hashem is doing this to us? You know, maybe are we, have we forgotten something, then everything would have been fine. But that was, that was what we learned about the city. The city was um, not turning towards Hashem enough. Uh, but uh, now we're going to learn about individuals in the city. Uh, history, um, there's a famous historian that writes 
history from the story of individuals rather than from nations. Like you read about nations, this country goes to war with this one. He always writes, I'll remember his name in a few minutes, but he always writes about what happened with this soldier and this person. And it's so much more real because at the end of the day, it is the story of individuals. It's not of some, uh, you know... You know, big nation. What kind? What? What did this soldier feel like? What did his parents feel like? What did his fiance feel like? What? What was it like to be a person then? You have to. It's history is really the story of individuals. So, after we hear about the people as a whole and as a pattern, now we're going to get into the story of some individuals that were alive at that time. And it's almost a break in the middle of this chapter twenty-two uh, for the story of another a great person who lived in Yerushalayim at that time. Now, uh, when we say great person, uh, we thought he was great. Uh, in fact, the Gemara says the righteous king, who was the king the, the, um, uh, who could have been the Mashiach, Chizkiyahu, he came close. Now, it's pretty good, you know, if you don't win the election for Mashiach, the fact that you're running is a good sign. Uh, he, uh, he almost was the Mashiach, Hiskiyahu. He was, he was as great as they come. You know, the, 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 um, the Mashiach is somebody from the Davidic line, from the righteous kings of the house of David. He was in there. Um, and uh, um, he was the uh, leader of the Jewish people, but there was another leader at the same time. And the other leader had more followers, had more. Uh, it says that when Chizkyo gave a class, you'd get 11,000 people. And when uh, Shevna gave a class, you had 13,000. He, he had more rabbis. Uh, he was more popular. He was a greater leader. And there were t- uh, two big schools, two big yeshivas that existed in, the, in, in Yushalayim. And um, uh, we're going to see that Shevna, who should have been a... Um, loyal to the King Chizkiyahu, uh, secretly is going to double-cross uh, Chizkiyahu and is going to be a thorn in his side. And um, this also, uh, we find that Moshe Rabbeinu uh, had uh, trouble from Dustin and Aviram. And uh, all throughout his life, uh, when he went to Egypt, they were the ones that uh, told the Egyptians that he was the one that had killed the Egyptian. And he had to run away from that. Uh, uh, and then... Uh, uh, Hashem did us a favor and uh, took those people that weren't worthy of, of redemption died during the plague of darkness. Guess what? Dustin and Aviram left. They, they made it out. And so the famous question is, how did these guys come out? So some answer is, well, maybe they did Yuva, but some people say no, that uh, they were there to, um, uh, to challenge Moshe Rabbeinu. That Hashem sometimes gives us people that annoy us for our benefit. Uh, we become great by having to deal with people that make trouble for us. And so Dustin and Aviram didn't leave because they were worthy of redemption. They left because uh, they were going to make more trouble for Moshe Rabbeinu. And uh, uh, we don't think of it that way, but we all have annoying somebody in our life. It could be a neighbor, it could be a relative, it could be who knows who. And uh, uh, we don't know why we have to deal with that person. It's just so so awful that certain people are just so abrasive. They ruin your day. Why do you got to deal? Why does that somebody give you so much trouble? And yet, Hashem wants us to become great. We believe that if you uh, come out of an interaction with an annoying person and you do well with it, uh, you can be a tzaddik or a tzaddikus. You can, uh, you can win your olam haba, that you can go to the highest place by how you interact with annoying people, how you, how you do with that. Um, 
we find that uh, when Sori Menu didn't have a child, that she uh, brought another wife into their marriage. And the same thing was done by, um, uh, by um, uh, Rachel and Leah. Yeah, well, Leah didn't need to, but Rachel brought also, she imitated her. Why? What, what was one of the, there were different concepts there. One concept was having an adopted child, or, you know, raising the child that wasn't here. That was one concept. But another concept of that is that uh, it's really difficult to share certain things. Like there's sure, there certain things in life that nobody should have to share. And one of them is a marriage. <laughs> it's hard enough to have, share, you know, to share one man, your husband, with another wife. It really takes every single moment of life then becomes a challenge because you're sharing what should be. Um, and the rabbis really bring a proof that it wasn't meant to be, that you really shouldn't have uh, two wives. It's not marriages and none of them worked out well. Uh, but one of the reasons they did that was that they were willing to put up with one of the most difficult things, you know, sharing what you uh, really shouldn't have to share. Uh, but in order to show Hashem that you're willing to do anything to be worthy of uh, finding favor in his eyes, even giving yourself competition, and even uh, um, uh, allowing, uh, in order that there be more children to serve Hashem, or whatever the reason, or whatever they were thinking, but on some level they were willing to do, uh, to put up with uh, sharing a, a, a husband in the same house. That was but what our the, kings, what? Our greatest kings had many wives. Yeah, but the wives didn't ask the king. You know, the king. You know, was it, I, we're talking about where somebody would have been very happy with their single wife, and that single wife said, "Please take another one." And what? What do you? You know, what were they thinking? Right? What was the? What was the idea there? And so, um, I, I'm just pointing out that life is really about friction. Where Hashem put us in a world with other people that think differently. He, he deliberately did that. He made people think differently, and he did a good job. <laughs> and. Uh, um, you're right. He sure did. Uh, and, but we have to realize that it's for our benefit, uh, whether we like it or not. We, of course we don't like it, um, but uh, it's for our benefit in meaning that if we deal with difficult people, which everybody has at some point in life, some people have it constantly and some people have it every now and then, but if we um, come out on top when we deal with difficult people. So that's one of the ways in which a person achieves greatness, believe it or not. That's, that's a, that's a, you get a reward for that, you know, of, of overcoming. And we don't do it every time. We don't do, you know, but that's really part of how we work on certain rough ed- edges that we have, is like dealing with um, uh, difficult people or difficult things. And you find that very great people sometimes had challengers, uh, here you have Chizkiyahu, who has, it's enough that he has enemies outside the city, but he has enemies now inside the city, and, and it's nice if your enemy is a bad guy, but what if your enemy is a rabbi, you know, is another fellow rabbi, and maybe he has, uh, leading rabbis support him, and, um, uh, but you'd be surprised that there are many cases like that in, in life, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in some instances in the Torah, when it's uh, making reference to multiple wives, could that not necessarily wait a minute let me get this phrase right could it possibly reference other um uh things that the man has to accept responsibility for if it's his work it's his, or mm-hmm. other interests or things like that that's referred to as a wife 
In some instances. In some instances, yeah. Mm -hmm. It could be other things, yeah, that's correct. I had, um, when I started off in life, I was a young rabbi, and I was anxious to teach Torah and bring people close to Hashem. And uh, I was offered a certain shul, and uh, they warned me about this shul, that it was a rabbi-eating shul. You know, we call that meaning that uh, uh, that they 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 tear apart the rabbis and then they spit them up afterwards, and that uh, you know they've gone through several people, and that the people there are very argumentative, and they'll give you trouble, and you don't want to go. And I said, well, I was very young and naive, and um, I wanted the I wanted a job, and I thought, well, that's for you know maybe the rabbis they had had uh, ego or had agendas. All I want to do is teach Torah. Nobody's going to give me a hard time. I, I, I only want to help people. I, I have no interest in uh, doing anything. So and I naively took the job, and I discovered that there were people in life that are out there to, um, it wasn't personal, but that's the, those the people make life difficult. Um, you know, and uh, uh, it's, uh, again, it's part of, it's part of life. Uh, it's part of being here in this world that we um, will be faced with uh, challenging interactions with other people. And uh, the, the question is how we deal with it. So in the midst of this discussion of the enemy from the outside, we're going to see that one of the greatest Jews, Kiskiyo, had an enemy on the inside. Uh, and his name was Shevna. And uh, we're going to read about him right here. Ko Amar Hashem. Thus says Hashem, Svakos uh, Hashem, who's in charge of all the legions. And we talked about that last week, that concept that he has all the powers in his hands. So um, Hashem says to the following, Lake Ba Elasokhenazel. Now, uh, this other person actually had great potential. You, you can't uh, be competition for Kiskiyo, I mean, when you think about it, every politician has competition, you know, but you can't be competition for someone who was almost a Mashiach unless you're pretty great as well. So uh, he gets a warning. He gets plenty of warnings of uh, what he needs to do. And in this case, he gets a prophecy of doom and gloom. And we all know that uh, prophecies can be overturned if you do tshuva, if you turn, change your ways. But he's, uh, this prophecy comes out uh, way before. And Hashem says, go to this person who's a sochein. Uh, usually it's not clear what that word means. Some people learn it means a treasurer, that he was the treasurer. It's the, uh, um, some people say he was the treasurer of the temple, of the Beis Hamikdash. He was the one in charge of the, the economy. He was the one, the, uh, uh, he was a very important person. Asher Levais, he was in charge of the house. He was the, uh, um, that's the simple way to learn what his, uh, he was the, uh, uh, the person in charge of... Some people say he was the Kohen Gadol, which would also be interesting if he was. It doesn't mention that here. Um, other people learn that uh, Sokin is uh, not referring to his job, it refers to his personality. The real question is, if he was such a great person, uh, well, how did he meet such a bad end? And um, some people say that uh, he was a person... Um, who was a, uh, a certain kind of pleasure seeker, or, uh, again, it's a mystery exactly what it was, uh, the, uh, what the deal was. Um, so, but let's begin. So he says, go to this guy, Al-Shevna, who's in charge, and say to him, Malachapo, what are you doing here? Malachapo. Um, Shevna kind of uh, fought his way to power, or he was one of those people that liked being in charge of others. And uh, 
or he, he fought his way to be the Kohen Gadol, and he wasn't worthy of it. Uh, it's not about uh, power, it's about really uh, uh, love of Hashem and, and uh, care for people. So Hashem will say to him, what are you doing here? <laughs> you don't belong. What are you doing here? Um, he did an inter- interesting thing. He dug a grave for himself uh, in the top plot in the country. They had a certain plot w- w- which was only for great people, from uh, people like the King Dov, David Amelech and other people. And he put himself in that place. He, he basically wrote himself in the history books. He was out to be known as the world famous... Uh, and uh, when he dug a grave for himself, is he wrote his own obituary. He, we don't usually say it that way, but some people, they like other people to think that they're the greatest, you know, and they let everybody know that that's, they're in the running to be the, uh, that kind of person. So Hashem says to him, who do you think you are? <laughs> you know, what, are what are you doing here that you, you thought, uh, he doesn't end up getting buried in this place either, that you have dug your grave on the highest spot. You have, you, you, it, it's difficult to be a great person and not know you're a great person, but Hashem expects the humility from great people, and he lacked the humility. Uh, and uh, so what are you doing over here? You don't belong, and you've decided that you're going to be famous and go down in history, and you'll be buried as the, you know, you've got the grave in the highest spot. You don't, uh, that's not what's going to happen. It's not going to happen as you perceive it. There is a famous Gemara, where somebody had a near-death experience. And it's, uh, it's, um, Non-Jews have this too, where sometimes a person hovers between this world and the next, and they perceive a little bit of what's going to happen in the future. They, they sometimes hover above their bodies, and there's a, um, it's a very interesting... Uh, it's happened by too many people, that they are aware of things around them, and they... Um, and, uh, this rabbi was very sick and was in like a coma, and uh, he apparently was given a vision of the world to come. And then somehow he came back. There, there's a time when some people are so sick where they're in between worlds and the heavenly courts are weighing different things, and people down here are pleading with Hashem, it's too soon, we still need them. <laughs> and so sometimes we manage to pull them back. And they're given more time down here and sometimes not. So in this case, and again, it's documented, they're, they're, non-Jews have had this experience too and surgeries and other things where they're in between these two worlds and they have visions of, of things that they couldn't have known uh, inside their body or being at, the, uh, at that place. It's, a, it's an interesting subject. Um, I wouldn't have believed it had I not read about it and seen books that well, one of them was on the New York Times bestseller list about 10 years ago about these, I think it's called a near-death experience. But, uh, but this rabbi was given that experience of seeing the world to come. And uh, then he came back. Then he was given a new lease on life. So they asked him, what do you see up there? You know, what's, uh... So he said, I saw an interesting thing. He said that the, uh, there were... Um, some very simple people who we never thought much of down here, up there they were in the front row. They were at the top. They were the, they, you know, the, they were the great, you know, simple people, laborers, whatever, and people that we didn't think much of down here when they were alive, up there they were. Wow, they were unbelievable. Like Hashem says, wow, they're treasures. And some of the great people down here, people, fancy people who thought they acted up there, they were like nothing. They were, you know... So he said, I saw an upside-down world. I, I didn't know how, it was a crazy dream. 
And he said, you saw the true world. <laughs> that was the, in other words, the, it's, it's not the world that we see. There are, there are people that get all kinds of honor because it looks like they have lots of money or people, uh, they show off or they act a certain way. Uh, and, um, and sometimes they do good things, but they're arrogant. And Hashem doesn't like arrogant people. And so they don't get such a good seat in, in the world to come. And then there's other people down here who don't seem like they do very much. But actually, if we knew where they came from, we would realize for them to do what they've done is unbelievable. And when they get there, they're going to be led to the front. And so it's a, uh, it's a different, it's a world of truth. Um, and so in, in this world, things aren't always what they seem. Not every person who the world thinks is a great person is, uh, it's not always. Uh, Rabbi Wigner Miller has a tape about that. He, he's, it's interesting because it's kind of shocking to think, oh, you know, there's so many rabbis, so many great people. And, well, some of them may not be. Um, in a, it's important because sometimes a person uh, actually has an experience with somebody and um, they thought this person was uh, such a uh, servant of Hashem and such a holy person. And, uh, and that person is given a perception of truth that, Actually, that person's kind of arrogant. He wasn't very nice to me. And, uh, well, you know what? He may not be so great. That may just be a, uh, you know, it, it might, he might look like he dresses fancy or he looks fancy or looks like uh, he thinks he's something. But, you know, Hashem has a different way of valuing things than we do. And so you never really know. That's the, uh, so what's going to happen here is this guy Shevna, who's in charge, he's the, he's the, the treasurer, he's in charge of the temple, or he's the Kohen Gadol. He has a bigger following. He has even rabbis, greater rabbis that follow him. Uh, and uh, we're going to see, though, that uh, in Hashem's book, uh, he is not the one. And Hashem says, you don't belong here. So um, this is what Hashem, the, the prophet says, Hinei Hashem metaltolecha tiltolgavr. Hashem is going to throw you around. It's going to, um, the exile is, is uh, when a person gets, uh, you know, it's one thing to be able to spend, to live at home and to be calm and to not have to, some people, some people that make a living, they have to travel all the time. You know, they have to, uh, but other people that just circumstances in life, they're always on, they're always moving. Uh, there's some people that they've had to move houses like six times and, you know, seven years, like, don't know why, don't know why it's in the book that some people go through that, but some people do. Um, and it tones, by the way, if you have somebody has to, has the goals and tone. But Hashem says, I'm going to move you around. You know, you were in one place, if things got to your head, you start thinking too much of yourself, I'm going to move you around. Um, he says, he calls it moving you around like a man. It's a funny, metaltal gever. Um, they uh, throw you around. Actually, the, the English doesn't translate it that way, but the, the Hebrew, metaltal gever is a man. Some people say that um, when you're a stranger and uh, you're a woman, so people sometimes feel uh, compassion for a woman. But a man, they expect them, to, uh, they, they're not as likely to help a man. In a, you know, get your own thing, you know, pick up your own, you know. The, but uh, in other words, you're going to be thrown around, but you'll be thrown around like a man, though you people won't help you. Uh, and uh, you will, uh, you will wind, um, you'll be, um, he describes them, you'll be wound around like a turban. Kadur like a like a ball. El Eretz Rachvas Yadaim Shama Tamos and there you will die. Vishama Markas Kodecha Kolam Beisanecha and you'll be disgraced. You'll you'll you will die over there and you will uh, not have your position and uh, and it's uh, and you you did not serve your masters 
you'll be brought down from your high place. So he's described as, as seeing himself on a very high pedestal. He puts himself on a pedestal and he's going to be uh, sent into exile and thrown around and uh, he's going to go from a place of honor and respect uh, to being degraded and some kind of terrible end. That is the prediction that he has for him. Um, we know the rest of the story. Well, we'll get to actually what happens to him. Uh, so um, during the siege, uh, there was a big debate about what we should do. And at one point, it, it's, uh, in the beginning, they thought for sure they could outlast the siege, meaning that these armies, in, in ancient times, to feed an army, they didn't have um, trains and uh, uh, airplanes to resupply an army. So if you had you know, a thousand people outside a wall, how would you feed them? Um, and uh, they came from far away. And so it was very difficult to have a long siege. So many times what they did was they created these great walled cities. And if the enemies came, they would pull up the bridges, lock the cities and just wait them out. Um, and they originally hoped that uh, they would be able to wait out Sam uh, uh that was the, um, uh, the enemy that was there. But um, uh, as time went on, uh, the enemy had to set up supplies and figured out how to give his troops food and water and slowly choked off the food supply of the city. And it began to look like uh, that they wouldn't survive. So there was a group in the city that wanted to give themselves over to the enemy, that wanted to give up. And Chizkiyo, who was the righteous king, had asked the prophets what we should do. And the prophet said, Hashem will help, don't worry, have faith. Now, you, you know, and sometimes if you hear it from a prophet, you could, you could uh, bank on that. But uh, other than that, who knows what the right thing to do is. Uh, sometimes people were criticized for fighting when they should have, uh, uh, should have accepted, uh, um, you know, should have, should have uh, given up and then at least people be alive, right? So uh, Shevna decided um, to uh, go over to the enemy and uh, go against uh, his master and the prophets and, uh, uh, of that time. And uh, he decided to lead over all of his followers to give up to the enemy. Now, why did he do so? So our tradition is because he thought that he would be made the leader, meaning that deep down his motivation was that if I lead the people to uh, give up to the enemy, they'll choose me to be the leader of the Jews. And they'll, they'll kill Chizkiyo and his people, and they'll put me in charge. So if I'm the one who negotiates this, so I'll get the power. So if he had a different motive, you know, maybe it could have been totally different. There might have been well-meaning people who felt on both sides, should we fight, should we give in, should we make peace, right? There are always people on both sides. But because we know now what his motive was, that he wanted to make peace and, and give up the lives of so many people just so that he could be the boss. So then we understand why what happened to him. So what happened was that uh, he had manipulated that he would go out uh, to the enemy together with thousands of people. And somehow what happened was he managed to sneak out and the guards uh, realized that somebody had left the city managed to close off that gate from all the followers to follow him. And so 
the, when he got there, they said, well, where is everybody? You know, you said you represent this great faction inside, and you're the majority, and you promised us that you would have all these people giving up outside the wall, and they didn't come. And so they, didn't be- they decided they didn't believe him, and uh, they brutally killed him, Shevna. They, uh, they tied his hair to the tails of the ponies, and they, you know, he got, uh, got dragged or whatever, terrible death. Uh, and that's, the, that's, the, that's eventually what happened. We may read a little more about him later, but um, it just goes to motives. You know, what, what is a person's motives? Uh, we, we have to focus on that sometimes when we do things because uh, we can't always be sure what our motives are. Are our motives the right, you know, are we, do, we mean, do we really mean the right thing? If we mean the right thing, if we're trying to get power for ourselves, <laughs> that's not a good motive. That's really a bad, if a person wants the job because they want power, they like, you know, being the head honcho, that's real problems. Okay, but anyway, that was what happened with him, and that's the message for him that maybe he'll listen to. But um, who's going to uh, take over for him? And the prophet says, I will find somebody who's my servant, who's not out to gain themselves, verse 21, uh, 20, but I will call out to my servant, the one that really does serve me, and his name is El-Yakum ben Chilchiyahu. That's his name, El-Yakum, the son of Chilchiyahu. And uh, you who thought you were so high and mighty and nobody was like you and you were destined to rule, your position will be taken over. And not only that, he'll wear your coat. Maybe, I don't know if he means the coin gadol's coat, your belt. Um, sometimes people feel that they can't be replaced, that uh, there's nobody, how could the world survive without me? I'm the greatest, but you'd be surprised, you know, that... that uh, you know, there, there's a, a, other people will take over after a person goes. Uh, so Hashem is telling him, I have a new person in mind, and uh, you, he's not even on your radar. Yelkum, he's going to take over, and he's going to wear your coat and your belt, and I will hold him, attain Miyato, and ye, he will uh, have your, uh, the powers that you had. And he's going to be a father for the residents of Yushalayim. Now, he won't be a king, he won't be an emperor going to be a father. That's what we need as a dad, you know, a loving a protective uh, father. That's what he's, Ula Bez Yehuda, and for the tribe of Yehuda. And he will carry the keys. It's an interesting expression. Um, sometimes there's, there are always certain people that have the keys to everything. They're like people that are involved in many different things, and you see them with a whole bunch of different keys, because they're given responsibilities. So he's described as the key. Uh, other people learn that uh, he will have the keys to Shalim. He'll be so trustworthy. Uh, there's an expression, they used to have a ceremony when there was a famous person, they would honor them by giving them the key to the city. Yeah. I don't know if they... Do they, they still do that. They still do? Oh, really? I've heard of that. I think that, that ancient walled cities had something that would open the gate, and so you would give that to a trustworthy person. That means, like, you know, we, we put our trust in your hands. So uh, this, is the, this is the source for that, the keys to the city. It says, Hashem says, I, he's gonna have, I will place the key to the house of David on his shoulder. So what it says to us is, on his shoulder means it'll be a burden that he'll carry, that, uh, to have the keys. Um, uh, he will carry it, and he will, uh, when he opens, it'll stay open, and when he closes, no one will close. He'll be in charge. He'll be the one to decide Everything with love, cold covered base, avi, and um, 
And uh, the whole house of his father, uh, the Kohanim and the other people, everybody will depend on him, the cold clay, cotton, clay, ignos, and he'll be in charge of every single vessel, the big ones and the small ones, clay and all, all the musical instruments. The, the temple compound was huge. You had all the gold and silver in the base of Migdosh, you had all the musical instruments, you had all of the animals, you had all of the wine, all of the oils, all of the... It was a... Um, you had to be able to service thousands of people. It's like a, if, if you ever walked into uh, the shul like the week before Rosh Hashanah, you know, they're cleaning the carpet and they're stacking the chairs and there's the vacuums going and there's a, it's just like super busy because people are going to start coming to the shul. You got to get ready. And so the base of English always had people coming. They cleaned up the border because the president went. Right. Oh, did they? Is that what they did? Oh, wow. Okay. So that's the, uh, so there's that. So he's going to be in charge of all that. And this guy, Shevna, he thought he was famous and he had his own peg. And instead, his peg is going to fall down and it'll be plucked off. And he thought he was, uh, he, he had his place in history already. He thought that he was going to go down as the greatest and did so much. And uh, apparently he used to have the peg where you hung your hat or hung your stuff. He, and his peg is going to go down. He was not reliable. It's going to pull that all of the wall and it will fall and, and, uh, and uh, he'll be destroyed. Uh, and that's, that, this is the prophecy, Ki Hashem Diber. And that's, uh, this Hashem has spoken. So it's really, as we finish chapter 22, so it's really an interesting, it's interesting because it went into individual people. You know, you go from a prophecy about a nation to a prophecy about the people. And uh, this is somebody besides the king. Uh, we don't know a lot about him. Uh, what we heard wasn't so good, uh, but he was a great person. He was a person that accomplished a lot. And he thought he would be famous. And everybody, he had a bigger following than Chizkiyahu. But Hashem said that, no, his heart wasn't in the right place. And uh, um, he, was, uh, he was arrogant. He didn't belong in a position of power and authority. He was, had himself in mind. And he would come to a no good end. That Probably wasn't. why we never heard of him. That's right. And then we hear about the one who's going to take over after him, who's going to be a father, who's going to be someone, you know, the father doesn't, uh, doesn't do it because he's uh, going to get a reward or this and that. He's, he's the father. That's, he cares for his kids. He cares for his uh, people he's responsible for. So that is 